1: its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion.
2: Now, the thing about times, the time isn't really real. It's just your point. Of Doesn't feel for you. Einstein said he could never. and down down try not to try too hard it's just a
3: welcome to turning hard times into good times with your host Jay Taylor this hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain now here's your host Jay Taylor
4: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I am also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying?, What is Chen Selling? We have introductory special offers for those of you who may not have tried our letters in the past, and you can call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, at 718-457-1426. That's 718-457-1426. Or go to my website at miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, to learn more about those publications and how you can sign up for trial subscriptions. Chen Lin, in particular, has had a phenomenal track record. Uh, he, I think, really deserves your attention. He's turned $5,400 uh, in January of 2003 to over $1.1 million at the end of April of this year. Uh, Chen is uh, very often on this show. He wasn't able to be with us today, but I did speak with him earlier in the day, and what he told me was his view is that the gold shares are especially attractive right now and i think he was using uh, some work perhaps by uh, one of the major canadian banks uh, it might have been royal bank of canada i'm not sure i think that's who it was anyway someone was doing some analysis showing that uh... that the senior gold shares are priced more as if gold were at nine hundred dollars now instead of eleven or twelve hundred dollars were uh... the yellow metals been trading in any event Chen remains extremely bullish on gold shares, as do I. And in my look, uh, lookout for gold shares, I have something called jayswatchlist.com. That's J A Y S watchlist.com. And later in the show, I'll be talking to Mark Weaver of jayswatchlist.com about a, a very attractive penny stock, penny gold mining stock named Klondex Mining. So uh, that's one of many that you're going to hear about on the show over time. Uh, also, uh, we'll be talking a little bit later to uh, another company called Mill Rock Resources, a sponsor of this show. Uh, I'll be talking to uh, to Mr. Beicher, the president of that company, uh, I do want to just mention. Take a quick look at the market today. The uh, the equities uh, are bouncing back. The Dow's at about ten thousand one eighty nine. The last I checked, the S and P at a thousand seventy seven. Gold has bounced back a little bit at, uh, at eleven hundred ninety two dollars. My belief is that we are in a secular bear market for equities. My belief is that we will challenge or go back and at least touch or test the March 2009 lows before the end of this year. Whether we fall below that level this year or not, I'm not as sure. But I think that the chances are very high that we will go back at least and test that. And if we do, I think we're in for a double dip. A double dip recession going forward now that may appear to be bad for gold mining shares i argue the other way i believe that if we head back into a double dip and if we continue to see the global economy the global credit markets contract that that is very bullish for gold mining shares if we run into an inflationary environment i'm not as sure that that's good for gold mining shares because remember we invest in gold mining companies to earn a profit just as you do in any other company any other uh... equity that you buy it's because you're looking for earnings uh... so uh, later in the show we're, we're going to have james turk with uh, with us and james is our special guest this week james uh... is going to talk about gold money that's his baby he has uh, four patents on the use of the internet for gold money uh... we're going to talk about gold money how you can use gold money to uh... to build your gold component of your portfolio uh... will also talk to james though about inflation and deflation james is really a uh, a believer in the inflationary scenario he believes that's how we're going to work things out going forward uh... that the mess that we're in now will be resolved through the fires of inflation if not hyperinflation uh, so we're going to ask James about that. Of course, we've had plenty of people on this show who have thought otherwise, who have looked at the deflationary side of the uh, of this uh, resolution to the current market mess we're in. And I tend to be a proponent more on the deflationary side of the than the inflationary side. So I look forward to talking to my good friend James Turk, who's a former Buckeye um, inhabitant of mine. He lived uh, up around Cleveland. I lived around Canton, Akron area. Uh, James has been a long-term friend, the person I have very, very high regard for. His his intellect, intellect, uh, many uh, parts of his his characteristics, his character is is second to none in terms of his uh, credibility um, and his uh, humility. He's really one of my favorite people, and even though I don't always agree with him, I find him always. Uh, very, very much worth talking to and, and fun to have around. So James Turk will be with us. Uh, he'll be our main guest. He'll be coming to us at about a half past the hour. But I'm really looking forward to the first the segment uh, following this one. We're going to take a quick station break here and just a commercial break in just a minute or two. Um, and we're going to be talking to Gregory Beicher. He's the president of Millrock Resources. Uh, Gregory is going to tell us about this very unique company with operations in Alaska and Arizona. Uh, looks like a very, a very interesting story. They are sponsors to our show, but we're going to talk to Gregory what he's planning to do with Rock Resources. Well, we're going to take a break right now. Um, let's just get my engineers. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a break right now, and we'll be right back with Gregory Beischer, uh to get his um, uh, his take on his company and what he's planning to do, and how he's building wealth with this little company that's selling for about forty cents a share right now. Don't go away. I'll be right back with Gregory.
1: The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Peck, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Elvius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Rock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Sullivan Gold is focused on the exploration and development of its wholly owned Showindo Gold Project in Peru. The company is currently undertaking the largest exploration program to date on the property and with this, expects to continue increasing its current mineral resource. A preliminary assessment was completed last year, highlighting a very positive and economical project, and a bankable feasibility study is currently underway. Don't miss this great opportunity to embark on an emerging gold production story. Visit
5: www.sullidan.com to learn more Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity. Pass by.
3: Dasha Capital is offering the world's first and only corporate stockpile of rare earth minerals, giving investors the ability to participate in the physical ownership of these critical elements without the associated mining and execution risk. Rare earth elements are used in many industries, from aerospace and automotive to high-tech and green tech. Dasha Capital is listed on the TSX.V in Toronto under the symbol DAC and on the OTCQX in the U.S. under symbol DCHAF. Please visit www.dashacapital.com to learn more. That's D-A-C-H-A-Capital.com.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
3: listening to Turning Hard Times Into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Text Stocks at www.MiningStocks.com. Now, back to our program.
4: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, I'm honored to have Gregory Beicher. He's the president and CEO of Millrock Resources with me. Mr. Beicher is a seasoned explorationist, a geologist with a solid track record of success. He previously was with Inco, Limited, and Bristol Bay Native Corporation. He is a geologist, as I mentioned, and a mining engineering technologist as well. Um, for those of you not familiar with Millrock, and I think that would probably be most of you, there are so many of these small companies out there that it's hard to keep track of all of them, but Millrock Resources uh, trades on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol MRO, uh, approximately 58 million shares outstanding, 72 million fully diluted, currently trading, and last I looked at around 40 cents Canadian, so that gives it a market cap of somewhere less than $25 million, uh, at least in U.S. money. It would be less than $25 million uh, for a company that I think has quite a bit going for it, and I'm going to ask Gregory to tell us a little bit about that. I should also mention that the company is well-financed at the moment with some $4 million on its balance sheet, and uh, if it were fully diluted, it would bring in another Uh, five or six million dollars it would have seventy two million shares outstanding at that point in time welcome Gregory to turning hard times into good times
6: thanks very much for inviting me Jay well, uh, it's
4: really it's really a pleasure to have you. And I was doing a little bit of research on your company as I flew back from Ohio, where I was visiting my my family over the weekend. And uh, you know, we've had project generator companies, which is what yours is—a project generator company. For those listeners that may not be familiar, they're companies that uh, that find good projects early in their development and then go out and have other people put the high-risk capital to drill the holes and do the, the high-risk exploration work um, and while retaining a position in those projects. So it's a way of preserving capital. It's a way of avoiding dilution because what we see with so many junior mining companies is this dilution factor. People, the companies don't have cash flow. They don't have money coming in the door, so they have to go out and constantly issue new shares. And the next thing you know, if you're an early investor in these companies and if they don't have an immediate success right off the bat, you're finding you're, you're not getting anywhere even in a bull market sometimes because the number of shares keep multiplying the market cap may be growing but your your own investment isn't growing so the project generator model has worked very very well i know rick rule told me jay i've had so much success with project generators i've not done nearly as well with other mining companies so that said uh... gregory i'd like you to tell us a little bit about your your properties where are your main properties i think you have several in alaska and uh or so in Arizona, could you maybe just highlight a couple of the, the more important ones at this point in time?
6: Yeah, thanks, Jay. Um, certainly, uh, we're we're really an Alaska-based company, even though we trade on the Venture Exchange uh, out of Canada. We, all the principals of the company live here in Anchorage. Uh, Alaska is one of our main focuses, uh, but we balance the seasonality of the Alaska exploration season with projects in Arizona, and they're, they're great copper porphyry projects down there as well. Uh, ones maybe to keep an eye on are, are the ones that we're drilling this year uh, Council Gold Project, Western Alaska, Bluff Gold Project, also nearby in Western Alaska, and, uh, and then finally in uh, Arizona, we've just uh, now completed a drilling program. Watch for results uh, on that soon. Uh, that would be the Galliero Project, uh, a joint venture with Valley Exploration, and as well, uh, we should be drilling uh, by the end of the year at the uh, San Jose project, uh, also in Arizona. So the whole idea is that we have uh, almost continuous news flow um, for, for multiple projects, but that are funded by joint venture partners.
4: So you will not be, So that $4 million you have in your balance sheet now can go quite a ways. You don't have to be spending much of that to do your own exploration work.
6: No, actually, we'll probably only spend about half a million dollars of that generating yet more projects. Uh, At this point, we have income from management fees uh, as the operator of the joint ventures uh, and option payments from our partners. So really, we don't have, uh, or at least our, our overhead cost is balanced out, and we're really not spending very much of our own money at all.
4: Um, okay now you mentioned valley Uh that for those of you many of our listeners may not be familiar with that company. That's a Brazilian company but not an insignificant one I think. Could you talk a little bit about them?
6: Sure. They're probably I uh, believe in terms of revenue the second largest mining company in the world, primarily producers uh, of uh iron ore but uh, also nickel and a variety of other commodities and in their hunt for copper, they, uh, they, they uh, noticed our activities in southeast Arizona, and they've become a partner there on a, a pretty big project, and uh, they're funding all the exploration work, uh, earning an interest in our geologic idea.
4: So a company of that size, generally speaking, the majors, if it's the second largest mining company in the world, is not looking for a small project. They must think there's some potential of finding something big there.
6: Certainly. And that's, uh, you know, what uh, my partners and I look for. We both come from big company backgrounds. We know the mineral economics. We know what the big guys are looking for, what they they need to make uh, a mine work for them. And that's the only projects we, we really target.
4: Okay, can you, uh, speaking of your partners, can you talk a little bit about your other partners? You have some other very impressive uh, main, you know, major company partners. Could you talk about that for a minute?
6: Sure. We're we're partners with uh, Kinross Tech, uh, Valet, Inmet, uh, and Altius Minerals, um, all of them pretty good companies in in their own right. Uh, And uh, I think it gives us good credibility. It shows that we can generate projects that are of interest to some of the biggest and best uh, mining companies in, in the world. And uh, in all cases, we come up with the idea, we acquire the mineral rights, uh, do enough uh, early-stage exploration work to convince uh, their geologists that this is worth spending multiple millions of dollars to earn an interest.
4: Yeah, and I would just say to our listeners that when it, comes to uh, convincing the majors uh, they're not oblivious to the management that is in place with the juniors uh, and so could you just talk uh, a little bit about yourself uh, very briefly and then also your partner or a couple of people that might be key in your company because they've had a pretty good uh, track record as well
6: sure we have and uh, <clears throat> you know i guess that's part of the attraction of the major companies is that we have number one the ability to uh, come up with the ideas but number two, to actually execute the exploration program. Uh, a lot of these big companies don't have that uh, necessarily that expertise, or at least the local expertise anymore. But certainly my partner, Phil St. George, uh previously the Vice President of Exploration for Nova Gold, very uh uh instrumental in advancing the Dawin Creek project, the huge gold uh, deposit here in Alaska. But uh probably most importantly, he's credited with the discovery of the pebble deposit here in Anchorage here in Alaska. He was uh, uh as a young geologist, uh, working for Kamenko, the the fellow that, that spotted the, the discovery drill hole there. Uh, now it's uh, <clears throat> known to contain billions of pounds of copper and over 100 million ounces uh, of gold. So it is truly, some some great discoveries to his credit.
4: Very impressive. And then he would have spent a great deal of time in that in the same you know sort of the backyard where you are now.
6: Sure. And between the, the two or three of us, uh, you know, we think we put together a spectacular portfolio of projects, uh, any of which uh, uh, could have that uh, same potential to produce another Donlin or another Pebble.
4: I believe uh, I read somewhere that you have a one of your projects has had a historical gold resource on it. Is that correct?
6: That's correct. The, the Bluff project out in Western Alaska, it's a no very rough resource at this point, but yeah. in fact, uh, we'll start drilling there tomorrow to to start to flesh that resource out and test other uh, targets we've developed on the property.
4: Yeah, as I recall reading, it was somewhere a rough estimate of around a half a million ounces. So what you'll try to do is to confirm that? Is that part of your objective?
6: Confirm and expand upon the known resource and test other targets. Yep.
4: Okay. All right, so you're really looking for elephants in Alaska and in, uh, and in Arizona. Arizona would be more of a copper porphyry target is what you're looking for there?
6: exactly. Yep, and you know, Alaska and Arizona both really truly is uh, elephant country. And uh, that's what we focus on is almost exclusively is porphyry style mineralization or pluton related uh, gold mineralization.
4: Now, I would like to ask you what I like to ask all the people that come on this show and that is what keeps you awake at night? What where, where is the biggest risk lie for people that might come in and buy your shares? And, I, you know, I like to, I, I think buying low price shares is better by, than buying high price shares, even though, you know, the general consensus in the equity markets is, oh, you buy a $40 stock, it's a much better deal than buying a $0.40 cent stock. But uh, that said, what do you think, uh, what, what is the biggest risk uh, investors face right now for, for your company? That, that, right. those that buy well, your company shares.
6: Sure. Well, to answer the first question of what keeps me awake at night, it really is uh, are we capable of actually executing all these exploration programs? We're, yeah. We'll be spending uh, over $5 million worth of uh, major mining companies' money this year on our exploration programs, and we've got to be certain that we have the capability to execute excellent exploration programs. And so uh, it's a concern. We're right on top of it so far, but uh, we're at capacity right now. Uh, As far as uh, risk for the investor, you know, there's just a small handful of all the hundreds of of, uh, exploration companies that follow the project generator model, and that Mm. really is a way to reduce risk. We have multiple projects, therefore the risk is is less, Uh, but we're using uh, other companies' money to do the exploration, and so again, the risk is reduced to, to the shareholder. I, I agree with really, that, absolutely. and I think
4: that's why you know as Rick as Rick Rule has said he's been so successful, and we have we've had a couple of others on our show, and, and some that I have had in my newsletter. But with respect to my newsletter, and this is a question for me, I'm asking you to answer this for me as well as my listeners. There are hundreds and hundreds of companies out there. I think part of the answer you just you just gave me, part of the answer to my question is, but uh, but what. You know why should we focus on your company rather than the hundreds of other companies that out there? What that are out there for you know competing for the investment for the investors dollar? What makes you special?
6: Right. Well, number one is just the model in general, the reduction of the risk. You're not rolling the dice on just one project. But the reality is, uh, the geologic merit of the projects is excellent, and, and you don't have to decipher that. You know that if the geologists of tech and Kinross and Valet and InMet are investing millions of dollars in our projects, that there must be some very strong merit, geologic merit, to the projects. Right. And that's all you really need to know. Every one of these has a great chance of success, but it's a risky business. They're not all going to succeed. On the other hand, we're not spending our money on it or our shareholders' money. And uh, hopefully one of the first uh, or second exploration programs we run will result in discovery in our body. But reality is we have time uh, to, to make that discovery.
4: Uh, I think we got just a no we don't we have 30 seconds I would like to ask you about the glacial retreat but just talk real real quickly about that you have it's a geologist dream because of global warming we've had a retreat of the glaciers and now you can see the rocks that you couldn't see before up in Alaska right
6: sure we're making some discoveries of mineral zones that uh, no geologists have ever been seen before they're leaking out uh, underneath the receding glaciers
4: Well, it must be very exciting for you. I look forward to talking to you again sometime, Greg. Thanks very much, and we'll keep track of your company and its progress going forward. Thank you very much. Folks, don't go away. We're going to have James Turk. He's our special guest this week. James Turk will talk to us about gold money and many more very, very important topics that we're going to ask him about. So don't go away. We'll be right back with James Turk.
1: Richfield Ventures Corp. is a publicly traded junior mining company on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol RVC. Led by an experienced and dedicated team, Richfield is systematically drilling 25,000 meters of core in 2010 on its Blackwater Gold Project in central British Columbia, where the primary goal is to discover a world-class bulk tonnage gold deposit. With $5 million in treasury and 40 million shares fully diluted, Richfield and its shareholders are poised for a major discovery. Go to RichfieldVentures.ca. For further
5: information. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010 increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Soladin Gold is focused on the
1: exploration and development of its wholly owned Shawindo Gold Project in Peru. The company is currently undertaking the largest exploration program to date on the property, and with this, expects to continue increasing its current mineral resource. A preliminary assessment was completed last year, highlighting a very positive and economical project, and a bankable feasibility study is currently underway. Don't miss this great opportunity to embark on an emerging gold production story. Visit ww.soladin.com to to learn more.
3: Dasha Capital is offering the world's first and only corporate stockpile of rare earth minerals, giving investors the ability to participate in the physical ownership of these critical elements without the associated mining and execution risk. Rare earth elements are used in many industries, from aerospace and automotive to high-tech and green tech. Dasha Capital is listed on the TSX.V in Toronto under the symbol DAC and on the OTCQX in the U.S. under symbol DCHAF. Please visit www.dashacapital.com to learn more. That's d a c h a Capital.com.
5: Voice America Business Network: The bottom line in business.
2: Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be slide.
3: That's questions, the number four, taylor, at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
4: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm especially pleased to have with me a longtime friend, former fellow citizen of the state of Ohio, the Buckeye State, and I'm talking about James Turk i've long looked up to james not only for his intellect but for his well reasoned arguments and his classy presentation of those arguments to uh, and even to his adversaries especially to his adversaries james has been an ardent supporter of the gold antitrust action committee he has not only provided strong bits of in- evidence showing that the gold price has indeed been capped and even driven lower by a ruling elitist group of bankers But his underlying understanding of gold as an Austrian thinker has helped people like me and many others prepare for the catastrophic economic environment that is unfolding before us at this time. James Turk is the founder and chairman of Gold Money, uh, which provides a convenient way to buy and sell gold online using the digital gold currency for which he was awarded four U.S. patents. He has specialized in international banking, finance and investments since graduating in 1969 from George Washington University with a bachelor's of arts degree. He uh, began his career with the Chase Manhattan Bank with stints in Thailand, the Philippines, Hong Kong. And in 1980, he joined the private investment and trading company of a prominent precious metals trader and moved to the United Arab Emirates in December of 1983 uh, to be appointed manager of the commodity department of Abu Dhabi. Investment authority until he resigned in 1987. James has written several monographs on money and banking and is the co author of uh, The Coming Collapse of the Dollar, which has been updated for a paperback version titled The Collapse of the Dollar. You can find that at uh, www.dollarcollapse.com. Well, we could spend hours listening to James talk about gold, the dollar, the debt markets, the stock markets, and a whole lot more. But because our time is limited today, I want to focus on three main topics with James. first, I want to talk uh, get him to tell us about gold money as an economic real economic, convenient way to buy, store, sell gold, and other precious metals. I want to ask him uh, if it isn 't too late to buy gold, I hear that from many people. Many people are saying "Oh gosh, gold's gone for three hundred dollars to twelve hundred've well, I've missed the move it's no use now." So we'll ask James about that. And then also I want to ask him about his inflation views, because probably two to one we've had deflationists on this show compared to inflationists. So James is an inflationist. He believes that that's the way this whole monetary mess is going to be rectified. Ultimately, it's going to work its way out through an inflationary uh, inflationary, uh, result um, that will bring us back to some sort of equilibrium or... Uh, you know, will correct the, the, the wrongs of the past, I suppose. Anyway, um, welcome, James, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times.
7: Thanks, Jay. It's a pleasure to be with you.
4: It's really great to have you here. I know you're here in North America for the summer and uh, in New Hampshire, um, your lovely home up there. Uh, I know that you and your wife and Charlie must be enjoying the summer a lot this year.
7: Yeah, it's uh, been really pleasant. Uh, New Hampshire is a great state.
4: It is one of the most uh, libertarian states uh, left, if we still have anything like that left in America. Um, I, I want to, I want to really um, get behind the scenes. I want, I want to really help us understand, help our listeners understand gold money. So we could, could we get right to it? If you could just talk a little bit about gold money, what it is, and why you invented it.
7: Okay. Well, um, we're located at goldmoney dot com and access us through the internet, and we're presently safeguarding on behalf of our customers over $1 billion of precious metals. And the reason why I invented it was basically I saw problems with the way the existing monetary system was working and thought how the monetary system was likely to evolve. So back in the early 1990s, I recognized that the currency that I had conceived was actually a patentable product, um, a patentable invention, um, and uh, filed for a first U.S. patent in February of 1993, and that patent was uh, subsequently granted in 1997, but it was before the commercial possibilities of the Internet were really recognized. But it was quite clear to me that currency was going to evolve using today's communications technology and that if as it does evolve it seems likely we're going to come back to the world's oldest money which is of course gold so basically we've created a way for gold to circulate as currency on the internet and for people to use it much like they would through an online bank account we're not a bank uh, but we simply store you know gold and silver you own but we provide the convenience and the 24 7 access to your gold through an online environment. And it's worked out very, very well, which is why I think we've grown so rapidly.
4: Well, how much have you grown?
7: Well, we're 10 years old, uh, so we've gone from zero to 1 billion in 10 years. Uh, and we've been basically doubling uh, every 12 to 18 months. Mm. Um, and even as we've gotten bigger, we've, we've continued to double. Uh, and now that we've reached a bigger size, institutions are starting to look at gold money as an alternative. So I think we're going to remain on a... Pretty good growth path going forward from here, uh, simply because people are becoming increasingly knowledgeable about gold and silver and recognizing how important gold and silver are to their portfolios. You know, I like to say it's the bedrock asset in everyone's portfolio.
4: Well, certainly it is, and it 's something that we 've been telling our subscribers and people in this show that they should uh, you know build their portfolios around um, what you're able then uh, if you if you buy gold or silver uh, let's say how do we how do we buy it Do we send in a check do we wire money how do we buy it
7: yeah everything's done by wire transfer uh, We have customers in over one hundred different countries around the world. Uh, so you wire money uh, uh, to customer-segregated funds accounts that we maintain at our banks in, uh, in uh, the Channel Islands. By the way, Jay, we operate uh, in Jersey, the island of Jersey, in the Channel Islands, in the English Channel. Uh, and we do that because it's one of the few jurisdictions in the world that still relies on traditional Anglo-Saxon common law, which is important because of its respect for property rights. But what you do is you wire money to one of the banks, uh, the customer segregated fund accounts that we maintain at our banks in Jersey. Uh, And then when you're ready to purchase, you just go online, place your order for gold, silver, and we offer platinum now as well. Uh, And the uh, metal is purchased on your half, and it's stored in a vault uh, at your choice. Uh, The vaults are located in the U.K., in Switzerland, and in Hong Kong. And you can store uh, your gold uh, or your precious metals in any of those three vaults.
4: Oh, I wasn't aware of Hong Kong, and, and how recently was, was that development?
7: We uh, introduced uh, gold in Hong Kong at the end of uh, March and silver just last month, and about 2.5% of all of the assets in gold money are already uh, in Hong Kong. People see it as a very important way to diversify geographically you know, their bedrock asset. Um, and one way to mitigate risk is geographic diversification, so Hong Kong accomplishes that task.
4: Okay, so you just mentioned the common law of um, the Channel Islands. Yes, uh, and that is an important factor. But I guess there's, you know, laws, laws are, are sometimes ignored by governments. And I mean, is there is there danger of, let's say, the British coming in with their military and and taking your computers away from you?
7: Well, we're. Uh, it's interesting because Jersey is a sovereign country. Mm. Uh, it has its own parliament. Um, it's not represented in the Parliament in in, in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only connection to the UK is that the head of state of Jersey is the Duke of Normandy, which happens to be one of the titles of the Queen of England. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, the, the more important aspect to your question is that there is still a tremendous respect for property rights in Jersey. Uh, politicians don't fiddle with uh, private property as they do in other countries around the world. And given the nature of our business, it was a very um, important decision as to where we would locate. So we chose uh, Jersey for that reason. The gold, silver, and um, platinum are not stored in Jersey. They're stored, as I mentioned, in those other countries. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, again, those countries pretty much have a pretty good respect for property rights as well, although I must admit property rights in the U.K. have eroded a little bit in recent years.
4: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and here as well, and that's that's what's uh, sort of frightening about this this whole notion of property rights. I mean, taxation, of course, is a is a challenge to ta- to property rights. Well, uh, James, I know that you're able to, uh, if you need to liquidate your holdings, um, you can you know you can do that. You can sell you know a certain amount of gold or silver or whatever, and turn them in turn that into currency. And I think the last I knew, there were five different currencies that you can easily convert into.
7: Yeah, there's six. Uh, all That's of right. the major currencies of the world, including, of course, the dollar, the euro, uh, Canadian dollar, um, and then depending on where you live in the world, you usually get the proceeds uh, from your bank wire transfer mm-hmm. uh, the same day or at most, you know, one one day perhaps. But we can actually send you the proceeds in any of the world's currencies. Uh, but you may end up having to pay a small fee if it's going to be one of the Uh, one currency other than the major six currencies.
4: Okay, so we got the euro, we have... Yeah, U.S. uh, US dollar,
7: Canadian, uh, the euro, the British pound, Swiss franc, and Japanese yen. Those are the six currencies in which we deal with.
4: Excellent. Um, And so people can go in there any time into their account, or their holding, I guess you call them holdings.
7: Yes, we call it a holding so that people don't confuse us as a bank. Uh, You know, it's a... Not a financial asset that you hold uh, with Gold Money, it's a tangible asset. It's physical metal that you actually own mm-hmm. in allocated storage in a vault that's uh, insured and regularly audited. We have two different independent auditing firms doing third party verification of the metals every other month, and you have access to those audit reports that the auditors prepare. So, you know, we provide our customers with the assurances of integrity that they're metals are safeguarded and safe, and I think that's one of the reasons why we've grown uh, as well as we have.
4: Indeed, and I believe that you do regular audits or at least annual audits.
7: Uh, every, every other month. Uh, every, oh,
4: every other month now. Yeah,
7: every other month an audit is being done.
4: So we and do that, six, six uh, audits the, a
7: year by two I'm different sorry? firms. Six audits a year by two different firms.
4: By two different firms. Yeah. That's, that's good. And then, um, and then there's a certificate or something that's posted on the website?
7: Uh, yeah, the actual audit, the full audit report signed by the auditing firm itself is actually posted in your uh, holding. When you log into your holding, you'll see uh, all of the historical audits and you'll see that there've never been any exceptions since inception.
4: Mhm. Now, the uh the Switzerland used to be considered, you know, one of the safest places to uh, to put your money, to put your wealth uh... you know because of property rights issues and so forth but i know when we had mark faber on this show he wasn't so sure about switzerland anymore do you have any thoughts about switzerland and the safety of relative safety of switzerland given the fact that that's one of your places
7: yeah you you have to distinguish between swiss bank accounts and storing precious metals
4: Mm
3: -hmm. again
7: we're not a bank and there has been a lot of changes there have been a lot of changes in recent years uh... that have eroded some of the factors and features of Swiss bank accounts previously, but storing metals in Switzerland is still considered to be very safe.
4: Um, And Hong Kong, why Hong Kong? Because that's where all the gold is going these days, isn't it, towards Asia?
7: Well, it's true that there's a lot of wealth being created in Asia, and gold goes where the wealth is being created uh, we've done it mainly to get some, again, geographic diversification. Uh, you know, it's in a different part of the world. Also, it's a different political system, and, you know, that's good. It, interesting, you know, Ch- Hong Kong is part of China, but Hong Kong is a separate region within China, as they describe it. And mm-hmm. it still also relies on traditional Anglo-Saxon common law. Mm-hmm. So you still have the rule of law maintained in Hong Kong and property rights perspective. Uh, respected, but it's under a different political system. Plus, you get the different, you know, different part of the geography. The intention is to eventually have other vaults in other locations around the world, and as we continue to grow, they will be added, too.
4: Mm-hmm. It's, it's fascinating, and it's, it's easy enough. Uh, is it possible for people um, to say, have a certain amount of gold or silver and use all three of those locations so you can split it up.
7: Yeah, many people, in fact, do. And one of the beauties of gold money is just there's no minimum or maximum, um, either in your purchases or how much you store. And if you have no gold in your holding at any moment in time, there are obviously no fees. So you can open a holding for free uh, to take a look at what it's all about. Uh, and then if you like it, then you can you know, choose to purchase a metal and hold it for as long as you
4: want, and so there are passwords, obviously, so you can guard it, so no one else can get in there and, and fool around with your account.
7: That's exactly right. And we have the same types of safety um, provisions and controls that you would expect to find when you do online banking with your neighborhood bank.
4: Is there any chance that you might someday do something, uh, have this interconnected with uh, with credit cards, for example, or debit cards?
7: Well, you know, this has been one of our most requested products, to have a gold money debit card. You know, where you travel anywhere in the world and the merchant receives the local currency and the gold comes out of your your holding in gold money. So conceptually, it's possible. um, And, you know, even though we're growing rapidly, we're still not quite big enough to make it economically uh, uh, practical. But I would guess at some point in time in the future, we'll have a gold money debit card where you can do just that.
4: So it's not a legal thing. It's more of an economic thing in the practical business aspects of doing it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so if you're growing, if you're doubling every, uh, every year or so and you're up to a billion now, will the next year a $2 billion make it big enough, or how big do you need to be?
7: It's hard to say because they keep, they, uh, the, the, the card companies keep moving the rules. I mean, we've been talking to a U.K. company, for example, about issuing a pound card, and uh, from this year to last year they increased the fees by 85%. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so they're they're moving the goalposts a little bit, oh. but uh, I'm sure that at some point in time um, we'll have something along those lines. In the well, meantime, okay. what most people do is, if they need to uh, access to their gold, they'll just have they'll sell some gold or silver, have the money wired to their bank account, and then mm-hmm. just use their bank debit card to actually make the purchase.
4: Mm-hmm. And I guess with respect to tax issues, it's best for people to. Um, to just consult their own their own accountant uh, with respect to tax issues, I don't know if there's anything you can say about taxes.
7: well, I really can't because it's an area outside my expertise, and you know we can't give tax advice. Uh, we have customers in over hundred different countries around the world, yeah. so it's impractical for me to do that of course of course but, but basically uh, what we recommend, you know what we say in our user agreement to customers is they have to be familiar with the uh, uh, rules and regulations from wherever they access gold money. And follow the rules and regulations in that particular country or territory where they're located. Uh,
4: uh, yeah, James, I'd like to switch gears, or, or maybe before we do, I should mention to the listeners that they can uh, gain easy access to goldmoney.com. com can just go to goldmoney.com. They can also find a um, a banner uh, at my site, Jay's uh, Media or JayTaylorMedia.com, is a place where you can also go to JayTaylorMedia.com and there's two banners that switch places: the Daily Reckoning and Gold Money. You can go there and just click on Gold Money, and you'll go right through to uh, uh, to uh, Gold Money website. It's an excellent thing. I might also mention to our listeners that it's not only a place to, to buy and sell and hold gold and silver and platinum, but also James provides some excellent essays uh, on there about the gold markets, about the political and economic climate that we're living in right now. Uh, James, I'd like to just, just uh, switch gears just a bit and ask you about gold and silver ETFs. Yes, you've done you've done a little bit of research, and I know some people might turn around and say, "Well, yeah, it's James Turk is just it's, it's sort of self-serving. He's looking at ETFs." But uh, there have been some other people that that have written recently about uh, gold and silver ETFs. There there may be some some things to be concerned about there. Could you just address that for our listeners?
7: Yeah, the big question, uh, Jay, is whether you want to own physical gold or whether you want to own paper gold. They're entirely different things. You know, physical gold is a tangible asset that you buy and store yourself or you buy and have someone store it for you like we do in gold money. Paper gold is something entirely different. It's not a tangible asset. It's a financial asset. When you own paper gold, you don't own gold. You own exposure to the gold price. And that exposure to the gold price comes with counterparty risk. In other words, there's someone else who has to make good on their promise to you um, if you own paper gold and the gold price goes up and you want to realize your profits. So, you know, paper gold and physical gold are two entirely different things. Now, I'm, I'm a firm believer in physical gold being the bedrock asset in your portfolio uh, and like all tools, there is a role for paper gold. If you're a professional trader or a speculator, there are a variety of different paper gold tools for you to use, and these include ETFs, futures, contracts, and a variety of options and things of that nature. But because I view gold and silver to be money, I, you know, I really recommend leaving the paper gold products to the speculators, and everybody should be buying physical gold. And you know, physical, whether you store it yourself or have someone store it for you, is up to your own personal choice. Because physical gold is a tangible asset, you know, we have some tough times coming up. There are going to be a lot of promises broken. And when those promises are broken, you're going to be happy you own physical gold instead of paper gold.
4: Um, I might just ask you, while we're on the topic of these various instruments and ways to own gold and silver, the Central Fund of Canada, which is uh, the brainchild... Of Ian Mac, Mac, McCavity, who will be on our show sometime in the near future, um, you know, is, is one vehicle that I've used. And it's easy to use because you buy it like a stock, right? And right, Any comments on CEF?
7: Yeah, there are two uh, uh, gold uh, precious metal funds that I recommend CEF is one, the Central Fund of Canada, and the other one is the Spot. Physical Gold Trust, which is Mm -hmm. another Canadian product. Uh Uh, And they're both traded uh, in in the States, uh, CEF on the American Exchange and PHYS on the New York Stock Exchange. You know, some pension plans and deferred uh, tax plans don't allow you to uh, purchase physical metal. Uh, In that case, then you need to purchase a stock uh, or a share. And the two companies or the two funds that I recommend in that case are, you know, Phys and c-e-f because they do actually go through the steps of verifying that the physical metal is actually backing those shares
4: uh, I know that that's, that's certainly true of c-e-f and I'm glad to hear that of Sprite is a relatively new product isn't it the it's
7: Sprott. relatively new but they already have a billion dollars in assets or 700 million something like that it's grown very rapidly
4: excellent yeah very 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 important to know that the gold and silver is there and they're not uh, some games being played leveraged off of it and uh, the same old, same old. Um, I would like you to talk just a little bit about um, the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. James, uh, you've been very, very helpful to that organization, very uh, very informative. You've done a lot of research. Uh, you uncovered some pretty interesting things. Um, what about the argument that some people made? I've heard this fellow talk at the... Um, a uh, CMRE meeting in New York uh, not that long ago, well, maybe a year, a couple of years ago, actually, a Council of Foreign Relations guy that was talking there saying that's, that's fooey about this notion that gold is being manipulated. How can they say that when the price of gold is rising? If it was manipulated and, and the, and the uh, central banks had control of it, how, it wouldn't be rising. What do you say to that argument?
7: Well, it's rising because it's a controlled retreat. You know, at the end of the day, free market forces are larger than any government or any group of governments. But governments do have a lot of influence, particularly when they own uh, a particular asset and can use that asset to influence price. So let's say, for example, governments of the world own 10% of the world's Picasso paintings, and they go out and start propaganda. Propagandizing about how bad Picasso paintings are, and every once in a while they sell a Picasso painting uh, to make the price uh, go down. But if the market believes that Picasso's are worth more than what the government is telling them, the market will respond and buy those Picasso's whenever the government sells it and mm. ignore the government propaganda. It's the same thing with gold. You have to recognize, Jay, that gold is the only natural competitor to government fiat currencies, Mm -hmm. and given that governments today have the unconstitutional um, uh, ability to create money out of thin air in in, uh, infinite amounts without any control, it's important to recognize that that discipline that had been imposed by gold in the Constitution and existed up until 1971, that's no longer there. But gold, gold still has its attributes as money and currency, uh, even though government propaganda propagandizes against it. So what you really have to do is look and see at the end of the day, does gold and silver fit in my portfolio? Does it have usefulness? You know, Do I like the fact that it doesn't have counterparty risk? You know, look at the fact that an ounce of gold today buys the same amount of crude oil it did back in 1950. That mm. shows how gold preserves purchasing power over long periods of time. You know, if those kinds of attributes are important to you, you just have to ignore what you see and hear um, that is anti-gold, and mm. just recognize it for yourself that yes, it is something that perhaps makes sense for my portfolio, and I'll buy some physical gold as a consequence.
4: I just thought of something in terms of uh, going back to gold money again, James, and that is that, you know, if you had a gold standard, carrying ounces of gold around in your pocket is not very practical. So we had a a paper, you know, we had a gold-backed paper system, right? Yes. We went to paper money, so you could always take that paper to the bank and get the equivalent amount of gold for that paper. It was backed by gold. Well, now we have gold money. Obviously, you can just, uh, you know, you can have it, in an account in an electronic form, but you can always then go to the, not that you're a bank, you can go to your holding and get that out of the vault, in essence, can't you?
7: Yeah, that's right. You can redeem it or you can spend it. It's like a gold coin, but instead of a physical gold coin, you move from hand to hand. It's a digital gold coin coin that moves from computer to computer or from iPhone to iPhone. You can actually access gold money through an iPhone application. It's, it's the technology's changing the nature of currency, but gold still remains money. You know, it still preserves purchasing power, and it still can uh, be useful in economic calculation, which is what money does. So, yeah, it, it, that's how I think currency is going to evolve. And that when all of this silliness with fiat currencies and what we've seen over the past four, decade, four decades, this experiment of money that can be created out of thin air without any controls or discipline – when that finally comes to an end, which I think is going to happen soon, we'll go back to basics. And at the very basic, gold will be fundamental, central to society, um, central to you know, global commerce. And hopefully gold money will have a role to play in making gold uh, circulate as currency once again.
4: Sure, sure. so that you can go back, and actually the point is that you can go back to gold money and get the physical gold there. You, you provide, by, so, by being able to do that, you provide a check against the system, against the fraud, the potential fraud and the actual fraud that we've had without a gold back system where the people that are in control of the system can create endless amounts of money. But that way you always know that you have the real thing, and you can go back and get it. Or the beauty of it is that you can exchange it into euros or yen or dollars or Canadian dollars, what have you. Uh, um, it really is a very uh, a very a very easy system to use and uh, very uh, i think very timely and much uh, congratulations to you on on uh, figuring this out even before computers were were widely used uh, and the internet actually was widely used so thanks jay uh,
7: there's one other important aspect of that too that you know even when we were on a gold standard we were on a fractional reserve system that there were always more claims to gold than there was gold actually sitting in the banks or in the, in the banking system. Yes. But gold is, you know, that's called a fractional reserve system. You know, gold, gold money is 100%. There is no lending in gold money. It's just simply storing. So you know that whatever gold you have in your holding, it's, there's actually physical metal sitting in the vault, and that's the purpose of the audits. It basically proves that point and provides the assurances of integrity that your gold and silver are safe and really do exist in the vault.
4: It's insurance of integrity far greater than what we had even when we were on a gold-backed system, isn't it?
7: Yeah, as good as the gold-backed system was, it still had flaws because of fractional reserve. You know, gold money eliminates that flaw.
4: And also, of course, you always had the politicians, and we had uh, President Roosevelt confiscating gold, and I might want to get back to you and ask you about the potential for that to happen, as well as I want to ask you about the price of gold. We've had a big run-up in the price of gold. A lot of people are saying it. I hear it all the time when I'm going to speak at conferences, or more often on the streets of New York by non-gold believers who say, Jay, gold has gone from $300 to $1,200. Are you nuts? I'm not going to put any money into that, so I'm going to want to ask you about that, James. We're going to go to commercial break right now. And when we come back, I want to ask you about that and a few other things before we conclude today's, um, uh, today's, uh, today's program. Thank you, James. We'll be right back. Folks, don't go away. After this commercial break, we'll be right back with James Turk.
1: The high risk but high reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Peck, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Eldius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Millrock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Bickerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining.
3: Briggis Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Briggis has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its gold fields project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. Dasha Capital is offering the world's first and only corporate stockpile of rare earth minerals, giving investors the ability to participate in the physical ownership of these critical elements without the associated mining and execution risk rare earth elements are used in many industries from aerospace and automotive to high-tech and green tech. Dasha Capital is listed on the TSX.V in Toronto under the symbol DAC and on the OTCQX in the U.S. under symbol DCHAF. Please visit www.dashacapital.com to learn more. That's D-A-C-H-A capital.com.
5: Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy eye op- Opportunity pass by. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Welcome
2: to the i oh.
3: at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
4: Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Again, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, and I want to thank our sponsors for the second hour of our show uh, for making this show financially viable. The sponsors for our second hour are Barkerville Gold, Crocodile Gold, Sullivan Gold Corp, Dasha Capital, Richfield Ventures, Brigas Gold Corp, Everton Resources, Millrock Resources, and Golden Hope Mines. We're back here with James Turk. And James, before the break, we I just mentioned that one of the things I want to ask you about right away is this whole notion that gold has made a big move already, and isn't it too late to buy into it? I mean, if I go down the streets of New York and I ask people if they're invested in gold, if they think it's a part of their, if they have it as part of their portfolio, I don't think I'd get one in 100 or maybe one in 50 that would say, yes, I believe gold should be there, and I'm very happy that I have it. And I'm adding to it at $1,200, because most people think 300 to 1200 moves over. What do you say?
7: Yeah, you know, people should be focusing on value rather than price. And gold is still relatively undervalued. It still has usefulness as a tangible asset without counterparty risk, but more importantly, you know, gold is still cheap. Uh, It looks expensive because we calculate the price of goods and services in terms of dollars, but we should really be looking at uh, how badly the dollar has done, you know, over the past 10, 20 years because of inflation and various forms of debasement. Mm -hmm. And my, my models that I use for valuation show me, that gold today at $1,200 is as good a value as it was at $280 back in the early 1980s. Um, so as a consequence, you know, gold, in my view, is still very cheap. It should still continue to be accumulated. And you know, this is another important point. We spoke before about physical gold and, and, and paper gold. And my point is, is that the way you should view physical gold is view it to be money. And when you're buying it, that's your savings account you know savings are always a good thing but it's a particularly good thing when you're saving sound money so you know every month depending on your your budget and you know whether it's possible uh you know just save some save some money save some sound money save some gold month in month out and you know over time you'll accumulate a lot of wealth that way and it will protect your uh and enhance and grow your 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 purchasing power because gold is still relatively cheap you know a, a bull market has three stages jay the first stage is when people are basically not paying attention. That's stage 1. That happened when gold went from, you know, $250 up to $1000. When gold went over $1000, the psychology of the market changed. Gold entered its second stage. You know, more people are starting to pay attention. The second stage is the longest stage and you generally see, you know, a lot of price appreciation during the second stage. The third stage, that's when the speculators jump in. That's when you walk down the street of New York and everybody's going to be saying, you know, to buy gold. That's still a long way off. That's three, five years in the future.
4: Well, you certainly don't see it now. And I can remember 1980 when that was a common occurrence. I can remember when people were lined up in the streets of New York to buy gold coins.
7: Yeah, that's, ex- that's what I mean by the speculative stage. It's still way in the future. So, you know, gold is still good value. It should still continue to be accumulated. Ignore the price just to use a dollar-cost averaging program, you know, month in, month out, to continue saving sound money.
4: You um, you talked about uh, people thinking that gold is expensive now because they measure it in dollars, and I like to say that the dollar is not a constant unit of measure because we because trillions, literally trillions of them, are being created out of thin air every year, and especially with all these bailouts and... You know, government stimulus programs. Money is not being. We're not taxing people. We're not taking it from some people uh, too much of it. Any well, i not well. I should correct myself. I think we're taking too much. I think mean, government's taking too much for sure. But the point I'm making is that the lion's share of all this funding is coming out of thin air. It's uh, money being created by the Federal Reserve without any gold backing. They can do that. So uh, what about uh, the real price of gold? It seems to me that's that's a very important concept, isn't it? What an ounce of gold would buy? You mentioned that an ounce of gold would buy as much oil now as it would have in 1950.
7: Yes, that's right. And that's what you really need to do. You need to calculate the price of goods and services in terms of gold as well as dollars so that you truly understand what's happening to the monetary system. Another thing I like to do is to calculate how many ounces of gold it takes to buy the Dow Jones Industrials you know, back in 2000, it took 40 ounces of gold to buy the Dow. Um, at the bear market low in, in 1980, um, the bear market low of, of uh, the stocks and the bull market high of gold, it took one ounce of gold you know, to buy the Dow. You know, both gold and the Dow were 800 uh, in 1980. And hmm. I expect at some point in time in the future, one ounce of gold will again equal the Dow. And my long-term forecast, going back to a, uh, an article in Barron's back in 2003, my view was that by 2013 to 2015, we would see 8000 on gold and 8000 on the Dow, which maybe sounds less outrageous than it did back in 2003. Yeah. But you have to put it into the context and compare it to what happened in 1970s. You know, gold then went from $35 to $800 and in 2003 gold was about $350 but it took $10 in 2003 to purchase what $1 purchased in 1971 because of in- inflation in the intervening years so you know on an inflation adjusted basis going from 350 to 8000 um is the same as going from 35 to 800 so i'm sort of sticking to this 8000 gold price $8000 gold price in 2013 to 2015 and suggesting it's no different than what happened in the 19 19- 70s, because I do believe we're going into a period of um, actually not just inflation, Jay, but I believe we've got hyperinflation coming.
4: Well, I, John Williams, who's been on our show, and I know you know John Williams, the economist, who defines hyperinflation as when the currency, uh, the, the largest bill in circulation, is worth more as toilet paper than it is as, as money. Um, so it seems to me that $8,000 gold could actually be a little conservative if we run into that kind of a hyperinflationary environment. Are you expecting something not as wild as, say, the Weimar Republic had or as Zimbabwe has now, but something, something more like the 70s?
7: Well, we could still you know, go back on the right path, reverse course from the direction we're heading. And if we do that, then probably we could get by with an $8,000 uh, gold price. But, you know, if we continue down this path that we're doing now, where you're creating um, more uh, money out of thin air, where the U.S. government is borrowing more money than people are willing to lend to it, which means that the central bank has to turn that government debt into currency, then we're clearly going to go the hyperinflationary path and we'll have uh, prices much higher than $8,000 an ounce. We have to keep in mind, though, Jay, that there are two kinds of hyperinflation. Okay. you know we all know uh Weimar Germany and more recently Zimbabwe uh, where there were wheelbarrows of notes being circulated around the economy in those two current, in those two countries was very different than the US they had very unsophisticated banking systems few people um had bank accounts uh, even the government at the end of the month paid its employees with uh banknotes uh you know a cash currency mm-hmm. uh, because nobody had check checking accounts mm-hmm. um so the way that hyperinflation manifests itself was through rapid printing of notes, and you had these huge bundles of paper you had to carry around. Brazil, Argentina in the 1980s and, and early 1990s had very sophisticated banking accounts, uh, bank uh, systems like the U.S. presently does. They hyperinflated. They hyperinflated through the banking system because most currency in those countries, as is the case in the U.S., is moved through the banking system with checks, wire transfers, plastic cards, and the like. So what's happening today in the, U, in the U.S. is the government is borrowing, uh, borrowing more than the market is willing to absorb. The Federal Reserve has this policy called quantitative easing, um, where they've temporarily stopped it, but you know uh, there looks like they're getting ready to start it again, where they buy that government debt, turn it into currency by putting dollars in the government's checking account, which it then spends, just like the Reserve Bank in Argentina did back in 1991. So what we have to watch is, you know, the, the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve, whether they're going to continue to, to uh, grow it, it's already grown over the last couple of years from uh, $800 billion to $2.2 trillion. Mm-hmm. So we, we're already on that inflationary road. But whether we go the hyperinflationary road, we'll, we should know in the uh, uh, near future, depending on what the Federal Reserve decides to do. The point is, is I don't see the politicians in Washington, Washington tightening their belt. Uh, They're continuing to spend and spend and spend. Uh, The money has to come from somewhere. It's going to come from thin air, and that means a lot of promises are going to be broken and a lot of wealth is going to be lost because of the destruction of the purchasing power of the dollar.
4: Wealth will be be lost by those that rely on paper money and keeping their wealth tied up in, uh, in fiat.
7: Exactly. And it goes back to the point again, that's another reason not to have paper gold but to have physical gold with no counterparty risk
4: so that's uh, that 's exactly it, and of course, the same holds with uh, with silver uh, with respect to silver, I believe you 're slightly more bullish on silver than gold
7: yes, I am, but silver's not for everyone because it 's more volatile mm-hmm. uh, and as a consequence, you have to have a you know a little bit stronger disposition to to own silver than you do gold. I follow the gold silver ratio very closely. you know how many ounces of silver it takes to buy an ounce of gold, and historically it takes about uh, uh, it took about 16 ounces of silver to equal one ounce of gold. At the bottom of the bear market, uh, it took uh, over 100 um, back in the early 19, in, back in the 1990s, just like it took over 100 ounces of silver to buy an ounce of gold back in the Great Depression. But uh, we're now around 65, but we've been in this range where the ratio floats from 40 ounces of silver up to 84 ounces of silver to buy an ounce of gold. So it's a huge swing but over time silver's going to outperform because I think we're going to go back below 20 ounces silver to buy one ounce of gold before this bull market and the precious metals are over so if you can handle the volatility own silver too and what I generally recommend is two-thirds gold, one-third silver in your portfolio
4: It's interesting because uh, Bob Hoy who's been on this show a number of times uh, talks about, uh, you know, he's more of a deflationist and hence he sort of sees gold outperforming silver but I guess as an inflationist uh, that's consistent with Bob's views, too, if you, ta- if you buy the inflation side of the argument.
7: Yeah, and that's another reason for diversifying your p- portfolio. Don't have all gold or don't have all silver. Uh-huh. You're covering both bases that way.
4: Yeah. Well, it certainly is uh, true we uh, I look at uh, another Bob Hoy concept and that is the real price of gold and we noticed that before Lehman Brothers announced the gold would have bought only 15% of the Rogers raw materials fund. After that deflationary event, which I think it was, the uh, implosion, the credit implosion that followed Lehman Brothers failure, it jumped up to 44%. It's currently around 40%. So either way, gold has done extremely well. But uh, we only have about a minute, actually a couple minutes left. I'm going to stretch it out here a bit. But <clears throat> If we look at the, uh, the real price of gold, uh, that benefits mining companies. Do you see this as a very bullish time for gold mining companies, uh, given your inflationary outlook? Because isn't it possible that the cost of producing that gold could go up faster than the price of gold itself?
7: Well, that's what's happened over the past decade, which is why the mining <laughs> stocks have done so poorly uh, so far this decade, input costs have risen faster than the gold price because the gold price is being controlled by the the gold cartel, as Gata has made so clear. But I think that's changing. I think the gold cartel is losing control, and input costs are going to be going in uh, up more slowly than the gold price going forward. So if you're inclined to invest in stocks uh, and you're prepared to take the risks of management, Uh, you know, government risks, political risks, uh, acts of nature, and all of those things, yeah, then look at the gold gold mining stocks as well. But remember, when you have in your portfolio two different groups, you have investments, which are your wealth-producing assets, and then you have liquidity, which are your wealth-preserving assets. Mm -hmm. Gold bullion goes in the liquidity part of your portfolio, or what we also call the cash part of your portfolio. The mining stocks go in the investment part of your portfolio. They're two different things that really shouldn't be compared to one another
4: very good point james before we let you go i want to ask you about this whole issue of confiscation it happened in the nineteen thirties with roosevelt is it going to happen again do you think in the united states and elsewhere around the world
7: well the way things are going Jay, I i don't think they're going to be happy just confiscating the gold i think they're going to go for a lot more than that uh, you know we've been operating now with a period of increasing capital controls uh... governments are restricting the freedom of us to act with our money so far, the controls have been very mild, but I think we have to assume that the controls are going to become more harsh. And Therefore, I think it becomes imperative that we diversify our wealth, diversify our assets globally as quickly and as practically as, as, as we can.
4: Uh, that's, I think that's great advice, James. And again, give people the, um, the website where people can uh, track your work, goldmoney.com, I guess, right?
7: Yeah, goldmoney.com.
4: And also, you were um, an author, co-author of a, of a book. What is the website where people can buy that book?
7: Yeah, that's dollarcollapse.com. I co-authored that with uh, my friend John Rabino. It was originally written in 1984. The paperback was updated uh, the year before last. And it basically, even though it was uh, written a while ago, it still sells well because there's a lot of educational material in there as to how to view gold, how to view currencies, and try to understand what's happening to the U.S. dollar.
4: Fantastic, James. Thank you so much for your time and your insights. Always a pleasure talking with you. Uh, I would like to also mention to our listeners that you can track uh, Gold Money. Go to uh, Jay'sMedia.com or JayTaylorMedia.com, uh, which is the uh, really the, the point where we direct a lot of the the things that I'm doing with various newsletters, television appearances, radio, etc. So thanks again, James uh... for being with us today and i hope we can have you back sometime soon
7: thank thank you very much i'd like that Uh,
4: pleasure pleasure having you folks don't go away we're gonna have roger Wiegand coming up with us uh... in the next two segments roger's gonna talk to us about the various markets of of importance uh... certainly the equity markets the bond markets gold and silver as well so don't go away we'll be right back with roger Wiegand.
1: Richfield Ventures Corp. is a publicly traded junior mining company on the TSX Venture Exchange. Under the symbol RVC, led by an experienced and dedicated team, Richfield is systematically drilling 25,000 meters of core in 2010 on its Blackwater Gold Project in Central British Columbia, where the primary goal is to discover a world-class bulk tonnage gold deposit. With $5 million in treasury and 40 million shares fully diluted, Richfield and its shareholders are poised for a major discovery. Go to richfieldventures.com. CA for further information. Sullivan Gold is focused on the exploration and development of its wholly owned Shawindo Gold Project in Peru. The company is currently undertaking the largest exploration program to date on the property and with this, expects to continue increasing its current mineral resource. A preliminary assessment was completed last year, highlighting a very positive and economical project, and a bankable feasibility study is currently underway. Don't miss this great opportunity to embark on an emerging gold production story. Visit www. to Learn more.
5: Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy Opportunity pass by.
3: Dasha Capital is offering the world's first and only corporate stockpile of rare earth minerals giving investors the ability to participate in the physical ownership of these critical elements without the associated mining and execution risk. Rare Earth elements are used in many industries, from aerospace and automotive to high-tech and green tech. Dasha Capital is listed on the TSX.V in Toronto under the symbol DAC and on the OTCQX in the U.S. under symbol DCHAF. Please visit www.dashacapital.com to learn more. That's d-a-c-h-a-capital.com.
1: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome
2: to the human race. Some kind of and ride. I'll be
3: Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
4: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm here with a technical analyst and editor of Trader Tracks newsletter, my partner, Roger Wiegand. Roger uh, is a partner of mine by virtue of the fact that my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, provides the back office services for Roger's excellent newsletter. Roger's strength is primarily in the area of technical analysis, uh, so I seek his advice from time to time on where he sees the markets going in the future, from, strictly from a technical point of view, although he also does follow fundamental, uh, uh, fundamental uh, reasons and, and changes in markets as well. Roger also has a background uh, in real estate that has provided him with an edge in seeking the tsunami actually seeing the tsunami of real estate defaults coming our way even as Alan Greenspan was falsely assuring the American public that there was no bubble in the real estate markets. Roger and I have been working together since 2004 and it has been an enjoyable run. Roger's very extensive weekly newsletter is focused primarily on commodities futures and options trading strategies But his letter is also chock full of very interesting current events affecting the U.S. and global economic markets, uh, the economies and the various markets. And people who read his letter really enjoy it, just simply uh, enjoy reading it. And in addition, of course, he's provided some excellent trading ideas and has made people a lot of money. For those of you who have not yet tried Roger's letter, Trader Tracks, we offer a low price trial subscription for just $49 for one month. And you can subscribe to that by going to miningstocks.com. That's miningstocks.com. Or call my assistant in New York, Claudio Bossi, in our office in New York at 718-457-1426. That's 718-457-1426. Well, now that I've got the commercial out of the way for Mr. Wiegand, Roger, welcome to turning hard times into good times. Good to have you back. Thanks, Jay. Good morning. Good morning to you. And uh, you know, wanna, we want to say um, that you that you've been right on with these markets. You've uh, used your technical analysis, and you certainly uh, uh, do an enormous amount of reading. And you provide an enormous amount of very, very interesting and relevant topics and and uh, subject matter for people that uh, subscribe to your letter. I want to jump right in, though, to the equity markets. Roger, I know you know, you know that I've been very bearish, and I know that you've taken a, a longer-term bearish view. But from a technical perspective, talk to us a little bit about the equities markets. Maybe start with the Dow, uh, the Dow Jones Industrials and then perhaps the, uh, the S&P 500. Tell us, what do you see from a technical perspective, let's say over the next two or three months and then longer term?
0: Well, the, the Dow Jones has got some uh, bearish-looking uh, patterns on the chart. They have had these patterns for some time, as did the S&P 500. Uh, the Dow right now is, uh, is uh, lingering around uh, 10,000, basically. Uh, we think that from the high, we can see probably a 23 or 24% drop as a minimum, uh, which would take us uh, back into the 98.50, maybe the 96.50 range to start out. We think this year that the fundamentals are stacked against the Dow Jones and that the big traders were very anxious to try to sell into strength, and they have been doing this uh, for the last 60, 90 days. Well, they, they buy, then they sell as the strength rises, the volume goes up, it comes back to a certain spot, and then there is some manipulation from the standpoint of the S&Ps which, in fact, then does drive the Dow higher, either that or it does stabilize it. So we think that it's, it's the trend is down, uh, we don't see any wipeout crash yet, but that's entirely possible. We think that if there is going to be such a crash this year, which, in fact, we have predicted, we think it will probably be in September or October. Uh, on the shorter term, uh, here we are in July, I think that the end of July is going to be a real test. Uh, There's four or five negative things fundamentally which are converging all at the same time. Uh, The biggest one is what's going on in Europe. Uh, The problems with Greece, Italy, Spain, and their sovereign debt, Uh, they've got themselves into a serious problem and it's not been reconciled at this time. Uh, Germany said that they were going to loan a billion dollars roughly to Greece on a short term, but they don't have the money, and I don't think it, well, politically it's been approved as yet. So, <clears throat> excuse me, all these things impact impact the Dow Jones because uh, Asia, uh, the, the, uh, Europe, and the U.S. are all pretty much tied together as far as what happens. Uh, quite frequently you can watch uh, 8 o'clock at night, you can watch on uh, Bloomberg, what's happening in Asia and watch it travel to Europe and in this somewhat the same kind of trading will then come into the U.S. and around the corner again, around the world. Uh, the U.S. has got uh, uh, some, some real serious problems, and I don't see any, any, uh, any of these things getting
4: solved in the near term. All right, Roger, you mentioned crash, and you say that, that you're predicting a crash. What is the probability? Well, first of all, let me ask you, how do you define a crash?
0: a crash to me is not a twenty three percent drop uh... that that in my view is a correction i would say a crash is at least fifty to sixty two percent and i'm looking for at least fifty percent in the fall and it could be worse than that uh... the end of the month is really going to decide what is going to happen in the fall from the standpoint of technical analysis all right well let's
4: put this in let's put this in perspective a little bit roger if you're saying a fifty percent uh... Crash. Now where is the Dow right now? What are we looking at? Around ten thousand,
0: ten thousand two hundred? Um on the Dow Futures right now, Jay, the uh, uh, we're looking at ten seventy two fifty and the the, the S and P five hundred I'm sorry, that's the S P ten seventy two, the Dow Jones is ten thousand one twenty four. Mm-hmm. And we were looking previously in the Dow at about 11,000, roughly 11.4. And if you take, uh, I did some numbers today before we visited, and I can see the possibility of going all the way back to 6,600 again this fall and there is even a smaller chance that we could go lower to like 5600.
4: All right, Roger, 6600 would that take us back to the March 2009 lows or thereabouts? That that would be the low that would match it. So you could see us uh, testing I, those lows and then bouncing off perhaps?
0: Exactly. That's usually what happens, Jay. You'll get if it comes down that severely, it is often quite rapid. You'll get moves of anywhere from 350 to 800 points in a day. Now, uh, keep in mind that the, that the computer system in New York now has uh, breakers, and when they hit certain points, it's going to stop and pause. But from my experience in looking at these pauses, uh, you just get more pent-up demand on the sell side, and then when it opens up, it goes even faster.
4: So you're looking... I'm sorry, go ahead, Rog. Go, go ahead. got uh, so, you, so you're looking for something very, very severe, Heading into the fall, or in in the fall before the end of this year. Yes. And and so that sort of brings me to um, another topic I'd like to ask you about before we cover a whole host of other things. You have some short strategies to profit from these uh, from this sort of a, of a market move. Could you talk a little bit about? I know one of them is a short in the financials, uh, and its a symbol is FAZ. Would you care to talk a little bit about how people can profit from? uh this kind of a move assuming that you're right about this.
0: We first came on to this thing March a year ago, Jay. Uh, at the time uh the, the shares had not split yet. We'll talk about the split in one second.
4: So could but you just give us uh, tell us the name of the fund. It's uh, it's it's, it's actually the, like it's an ETF, called, right?
0: It's called the Direxion D I R E X I O N Daily Financial Bear Three Times Shares F A Z and it's on the NYSE exchange. It's an mm-hmm. ETF. Mm-hmm. It's extremely leveraged, and for that reason, owning the shares does require some management ability, in my view, from maybe some extra management ability, because you should use stops because of the volatility, because you don't want to get into position where you're going to have to um, take a major loss, which can happen quickly. Uh, from my point of view, other than owning the shares with stops, the next best way to do this, and my preferred way to do this, and I recommend it to our readers, is to buy call options for October and January. And
4: those okay. Call okay options, so Roger, just to make it, just to make this, just so I understand and our listeners understand, when you're saying buying call options, you're buying. So rather than buy the FAZ itself, you're buying options on FAZ. That's correct. Okay, so that's really leverage, because if you look at it, FAZ is a triple down, as they refer to it, meaning that if the financials go down by, let's say, 10%, your FAZ, in theory, should go up by 30%, right?
0: That's correct, and not only that, but compared with the strike prices that are reasonable where you'd want to enter, on today's price on the shares and on today's prices on the calls, uh, you're looking at some leverage now that would be probably... Uh, an additional five times on top of the three, so yeah. you're looking at eight or nine times
4: leverage. Right, right. So, but the attorney- so obviously, you know, people that aren't experienced with leverage, uh, just to remind them, um, remind everybody that uh, that leverage, you know, cuts both ways. If you're right, you can make an awful lot of money. If you're wrong, you can lose a fair amount too. Exactly. And that's why you're suggesting putting stops in there to eliminate the losses.
0: Yes, if you're wrong. I, had, I had one of our trader readers that had a very large position with no stops. And when I heard that, my, my hair went up on end, and he got himself in trouble here recently because FAS has had two run-ups already where some of our readers and investors have taken profits. Mm-hmm. taken significant profits two times. They're very active traders.
3: Mm-hmm. Some of
0: them own the shares. Some of them are buying the calls. Uh, the majority of the bigger traders are buying call positions and what they're doing is they're laddering in and laddering out. In other words, they're, they're, they're not buying the whole position at one time, That they may start with some shares, and then the next thing they do is they buy some October calls, and they'll follow that with buying some January calls, and then maybe they'll sell out of the shares and move it forward in time. But they're continuously rolling these things over to the extent that whenever there's a significant move in the shares, they can take some profit, and they can buy some more further out. Now, one of the reasons we do suggest this kind of a trade, if, you're, if you can manage it, is that down the road, if these markets get very upset and there's a lot of problems, uh, you get stoppages. Uh, you, could in, you could, in fact, I could conceive of a position where you might own call options, you may win and not get paid.
4: Uh, well that's uh, that's uh, that's another issue, of course, because these are derivative instruments people should understand that uh, you know if we have the kind of meltdown that some people are suggesting we're going to have in the equity markets and in the economy in general, that these uh, these um, derivative instruments could become insolvent and not be able to pay you. that's what you're talking about.
0: I think there's a very small chance of that, Jay, but I think there is a chance, and you can probably equate that to another example that 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 happened way back in 1981, when the Hunts tried to corner the silver market. When silver hit $48 to $50, uh, the markets were frozen on the futures on silver, and it was only a one-sided trade. You could sell, but you couldn't buy more. So if we run into a position like that again, things are going to get messed up. So we, we encourage people to use this thing as a rolling trade and continually take money, in smaller bites instead of trying to take it all at the same time. Now to show you what kind of an opportunity this is and I really consider this trade the, the trade
4: the best I've ever seen in 20 years. Is that right? Well Roger, uh but but again, I want to emphasize that, you know, exercising putting stops in place, uh, managing, you used that word several times, managing the account is very important. Now, I would like to tell our listeners that actually you provide some of that service. That is, your newsletter will send out a uh, an alert to people when you believe it's time for them to do something, right?
0: Absolutely. That's because this trade must be managed, and it is so fast. Uh, you have to have a prompt information, and you've got to comply with that information as reasonably as you can. the The virtue of owning the call options is the fact that you don't use stops with call options. You can't you can't really put them in. You can alert your broker and ask them to uh, keep an eye on it for you, but that's not the same as having an electronic stop in place. So what we recommend is buy the call options, give them plenty of room to be active, and to, we would not buy anything earlier on the calendar than October 2010, and we would split the order and we would buy some in January. They have been selling them as far out as 2012. We wouldn't go that far out. We think that if you're going to have some money on this thing and make it work and take care of it, you want to stay about the medium a medium location on the calendar which would be October through
4: perhaps the first 6 months of uh, next year. All right, Roger. Well, that's one way to profit from a collapsing stock market. Most people will be caught, of course, on the long side of the equity market when it collapses, but one way to profit from it is that short short sale that you just talked about. But that's still a little bit risky for some people. A lot of people are not going to want to play that game. A safer way uh, to, to protect yourself against the decline in the equity markets is by owning gold and gold bullion, silver silver bullion, and, and the, the shares as well. Talk to us a little bit about what do you see for gold, both short-term and long-term. How do you see the gold charts shaping up?
0: If you look at gold over the longer period, and that's where you should start, when you, you look fresh at a market, gold for the last 10 years has been running at, at a gain of about 15% steadily. In the last one year, 12 months, uh, overlap last year, this year, uh, gold is up at least 34%, and in fact at this time it might even be higher than that. So the trend is correct. Gold is up. We don't see the, uh, gold uh, in any, any kind of a major correction sell-off uh, for so, until somewhere between the 13th and, and 17th year of a normal commodities run. We're in about the 10th year right now, so that we feel that the, sooner, the soonest it could top would be probably 2012 or 2013, mm-hmm. and in fact probably is going to go a lot longer than that. So you're on the trend. You want to go long. You want to stay invested. Your point on buying physical is absolutely the first place to start. We encourage people to buy silver coins and gold coins. We like U.S. and we like the uh, Canadian Mint. And we recommend a coin broker in our letter, although there are other coin brokers that are good ones as well. And then in addition to that, you've got these depository things like goldmoney.com, and you can also buy uh, the shares in Canada using PHYS. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of ways to do this.
4: All right, well, that's the bullion in itself. And what about the shares? How are the shares shaping up, Roger? From what you can well, see. And I know that you, you you look at a couple of indexes if you want to talk about those perhaps to give us a proxy on what the uh, gold mining industry is doing uh overall.
0: The gold mining industry has done well, but the uh shares have been behind the gold price lately. Uh yeah, the, my favorite index is the market vectors gold miners index it's called gdx is the symbol gdx Uh, that index right now is on a top was on a top near fifty five usually when a when a uh... technical move on a chart tries to hit a top it won't go through the first time usually it goes through on the third or the fourth time we have touched that price three times and now we're headed for number four and this leads me to believe that the next one is going to be the one that's really going to break out. Now, keep in mind that these things take time. This does not happen overnight. Uh, the junior stocks, in order to, to really enjoy some full value and a good gain on them, it's our opinion that you get in a good junior stock and you hang on to the extent that you can, although these up and down markets uh, require trading sometimes once or maybe even twice a year. In the junior shares, our recommendation is try not to trade too often. You're better to stay in your position to the longer point that you can. Uh, We've got one in our letter. We traded it four times already. Uh, Each of the first three times we earned 20%, 40%, 60%. Right now that thing is underwater considerably, but I am not the least bit discouraged because I know we're holding it open uh, with a negative price on it, we know that uh, good things are coming, and that by October, November this year, we expect the stock to be up considerably.
4: Would you care to share that name with our listeners, Rob? Uh,
0: that's uh, uh, Clifton Star CFO. Okay. CFO, Canadian TSX CFO. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got a they've got good funding. They've got uh, ore on the ground. A poor rock pile is going to be uh, reconstituted and run through uh, more equipment to get more gold out of it. That's worth several million dollars. I forget the number. Uh, That particular site is surrounded by an attractive group of miners and probably one of the best mining friendly political arenas of all, which is Quebec.
4: Okay, Roger, I know. I know. I know that. um... Uh, that there are a host of of companies up in that part of the world. Quebec is one of my favorite spots for sure. And I know the company you're talking about, about, Clifton Star, is also a recommendation in my newsletter. So will you see a gold bull market, a secular bull market, really, in uh, in gold and gold shares at this point in time that's going to last for another five, six years at least?
0: I would say that's correct. Or, Or most likely. Yes. All right. Well,
4: that's very consistent with Bob Hoy's views that and Bob's been on our show, too. And in fact, the shares he points out, uh, yeah, the real price of gold, the price what an ounce of gold will buy, rises very dramatically, rel- has risen very dramatically, and tends to do that in these major credit contractions that we seem to be going through. Roger, there's so much more to talk to you about. We only have about five minutes, seven, maybe five, six minutes longer. Let's go to the U.S. dollar. What are your thoughts on the dollar at this point in time? How, do, how, do this, how does the chart look for the dollar long-term and near-term?
0: The dollar has been in an uptrend primarily uh, because of the euro has been in a downtrend. The euro is a very substantial currency. Uh, it represents basically uh, the base currency for about 850 million people in Europe, Eastern and Western Europe. Not all the countries are a member of the Euroland Central Bank, but the majority of them are, and they've got big problems over there with credit. And the difference between Europe and the U.S. is our central bank can print bonds and print U.S. dollars until the cows come home, which they have done and which they will continue to do. The European Central Bank has got a different problem in that by charter, they can't help help out any one individual nation by loaning them money. They're not allowed to do that. Consequently, they've got to go backwards to the other individual credits that they had when they had their own currencies. What this means is these countries that are in trouble in Europe right now, their last resort is going to be the IMF, and the U.S. Senate, which really has to vote to make a major contribution, has voted no. Uh, We're so broke in the U.S., they're not going to give the IMF the money to give to Europe. So I don't know where they're going to get the money, and I can foresee a rolling crash in Europe, starting among the smaller, they call them the pigs' nations, which is uh, uh, Portugal, Italy, Spain, and Greece. Uh, Greece has got the most problems, but Spain is becoming more prominent. So what that means is U.S. dollar, uh, while it's weak too, and it's got a lot of problems, there's no question, it's a fiat currency just like uh, the euro is, Uh, It has been firmed up. But it did sell off because the euro came back a little higher. I think you're going to see the U.S. dollar for most of the summer stuck around 80, 82.50, 82.50 is my
4: support. Okay, and so, but longer term, you're you're bearish on the dollar, though.
0: Very bearish on the dollar longer term. I think that eventually on the charts, I'm talking very long now, years, three to five years, uh, we see the dollar
4: at 46 with an index today of 84. All right, you know, we we're looking at a dollar that is uh, uh that is the world's reserve currency still. And as Bob Hoy has pointed out in the past that when you have these major credit contractions, the dollar, the world's reserve currency tends to get stronger because the the uh, you know, the credit system contracts, you have to go out and buy dollars to pay back your uh your margin clerk. So it's it's a very interesting dynamic at the same time, Roger, you know, we've seen the old relationship broken, that is between gold and the dollar, where the dollar, would all if the dollar went up, gold would go down and vice versa. Now we're seeing gold going up against the dollar, even as the dollar gets stronger against other currencies. Does that not suggest that all the fiat currencies might be in big trouble now?
0: I would agree with that idea, and um, some people are pointing out that China is going to continue to go to the sky. We don't see it. We got a report here this week from a prominent source saying that Housing in Shanghai is going to drop twenty to thirty percent this fall. Mm-hmm. So, so they, you know, it, their currency is going to cool off too.
4: So that would play into the sort of uh, global deflation views that a lot of people have, including yours truly. I mean, I, that's that's my view. But then we ha- are going to have various people on this show. In fact, uh, earlier today we talked to James Turk, uh, who has quite a different view. But but that's what makes life interesting, and that's what makes markets. Roger, I'd like to shift. We only have about three minutes left another very very important market and i think perhaps the most the most important market is the market for u.s. treasuries because if there is confidence lost in the dollar then who's going to buy u.s. dollar denominated treasuries u.s. treasuries so what are your charts telling you about the long bond the long u.s. treasury bond
0: i follow it very carefully because that's a major huge market that's probably one of the biggest credit markets in the world uh... what we're seeing is the long trend on the bond is down but most more, more recently, uh, it, it's gone up in a flight to safety, uh, where the majority of people think there is safety and security. We tend to disagree. One thing you can do is you can watch copper in the bonds. They will trade inversely. Mm-hmm. Copper uh, uh, will drop when the bonds are going up and vice versa. Mm-hmm. One other key point to watch that's coming this year, when stock markets sell off, Normally the bond markets will sell off too but about 3 months later. That's consistent
4: history that we've seen many times. Very interesting. Those are some very interesting markets to watch. Roger, there's so many things I want to ask you about. There's no time uh to do any to even come close to talking about all of the things I'd like to talk to you about. So we're going to have to have you back for a more extensive discussion in the near future. But you mentioned copper while you're on that topic. How do the copper charts look?
0: Well, I see a, a big support on copper at 270. There's two things that could pull it either way. If gold is going to go up, it's an indication copper will, too, because gold is a byproduct in the copper mines, uh, one of the biggest being the Grasberg mine, uh, Freeport-McMoran, operates in Indonesia. Uh, we, we think that copper, uh, because of its many uses, is going to continue to be in demand, but somewhere along the line it's going to go softer, backing up, we think, to 270 sometime this year, simply because of the uh, deflation situation.
4: Roger, uh, before we leave, I, I have to ask you, so where is your, uh, your number one place to make money? Would it be the short on the, uh, on the U.S. equity market through FAS? Or... Yeah,
0: that, that would be the number one trade shorting with FAS. There's some other ones we've got in our newsletter. Uh, you, of course, you want to be long gold and silver, and uh, you want to mitigate risk to the best of your ability.
4: All right. Very good. Well, Roger, I hope you can come back with us at the other, uh, on the other side of the break. We're going to uh, wrap up today's show uh, and, and just get your thoughts on, on the markets as they're trading today. Is that all right? Will you be back with us then? I will. I'll be back. Thank you, Roger. Okay, folks, uh, so don't go away. Roger Wiegand will be back with us on the other side of the commercial break. I'm Jay Taylor. I'll see you in a few minutes.
5: Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy op- Opportunity pass by.
1: Richfield Ventures Corp. is a publicly traded junior mining company on the TSX Venture Exchange. Under the symbol RVC, led by an experienced and dedicated team, Richfield is systematically drilling 25,000 meters of core in 2010 on its Blackwater Gold Project in central British Columbia, where the primary goal is to discover a world-class bulk tonnage gold deposit. With $5 million in treasury and 40 million shares fully diluted, Richfield and its shareholders are poised for a major discovery. Go to RichfieldVentures.ca for further information. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
2: Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down. I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard.
3: Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
4: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. We've only got about five minutes. We've got a heck of a lot of material to cover, so let's jump right into it. I have with me Mark Weaver of Jay's watch list, and Roger Wiegand, my partner, and uh, he is the, um, the author, uh, editor of uh, Trader Tracks. Now, uh, Mark, let's jump right into it. You have a company called Klodec, uh, Klondex Mines Limited. Tell our listeners about Klondex, the symbol, how many shares, what its price is, and then about its project.
8: Well, Klondex is a company that we've looked at since the spring of the year. Its symbol is, is KDX on the Toronto Stock Exchange, and on the OTC, it's KLNDF. It's currently trading around dollar It's about uh, 36 million shares fully diluted, uh, market cap close to you know, $53, $54 million.
4: Okay. And what about its project? It's got an advanced-stage project. It's in the feasibility stage now. What do you know about that?
8: It's an advanced-stage project. It's called Fire Creek in Nevada. It's one of four properties that they have. It's the flagship property. It's the one where they focus the majority of their attention, including the current line of credit, able to arrange through New York.
4: Okay, so it has a line of credit, and the purpose of that is for bulk sampling, financing bulk bulk sampling? Yes, it is. And moving the feasibility study along, I guess.
8: Yes, it is. Now, uh, with with respect to that line of credit, that's been given without restriction. So anything that they can do in addition to the bulk sampling and exploration, anything that they can do to contribute toward further underground development of that property, they certainly will do that.
4: Okay, so they're looking at a third of an ounce per ton, I understand, a relatively rich ore body. Uh, what do they, um, so, so are they expanding the deposit? And I think you said there's something like, what, what is the resource there, the gold resource?
8: It's approximately 2.1 million ounces, 1.6 indicated, 0.5 inferred.
4: Okay, that that and how much of the uh, target area has, uh, does that cover? Oh, less than 20%. Less than 20%. So if there was continuity, if the grades were the same, you could be looking at possibly five times that or, or a, very, a very sizable deposit. Now, some of this is open-pittable, Mark?
8: Yes, it is. Some of it is open-pittable. Currently, they're looking at, at underground development as well.
4: Well, it sounds like a very exciting possibility here. I, I want to do more digging and try to understand uh, what the upside is and the management and all of that. We, we're very limited in time. Roger, you're there. You've taken a look at the Klondex chart. What does the chart tell you?
0: Well, when you pull a long chart, you really get the big picture and the big story. We've got a 10-year chart in front of us, and the price has gone into a very long, tight continuation triangle. Uh, <clears throat> the price has touched the top of the trading channel line four times. It looks to me it's good getting ready for a major breakout, and with what we know on gold and silver fundamentals and what's coming ahead of us, we think that KDX is going to break out.
4: Mark, when will they have the uh, feasibility completed?
0: Uh, likely next year.
4: Okay, so that could be the time, I would guess, when that breakout could occur if we get some good positive news there, possibly. Uh, hard to say, I guess, isn't it? The gold price takes off, the equity markets take off. We've only got about a minute or so left. Roger, uh, your comments on the equity markets today. The gold, not gold, the equity markets started down very strongly in the morning, bounced back. What are your thoughts on the equity market and about FAZ? That's that short on the financials.
0: Well, the equity markets today got a knock in the head from some bad housing information. Uh, prices came back and they kind of leveled off and evened out. I would call today a non-trending day. Things were going sideways. In regard to the FAZ trade that we uh, have recommended and many of our traders and investors are involved with, the trading range is running between fourteen and eighteen a share. Price has touched that $18 top three times. Typically, on the fourth try, a breakout will go through the top. In this case, that would be about 18 with next resistance at 20 and $22. And once it goes past there, we see a full technical move and a higher price at $25.88. In the longer view, our objective is $100 a share.
4: All right. Thanks, Raj. Unfortunately, we're out of time. That's all the time we have. We talk about this some more next week, no doubt, because it is something that I'm very interested in. Personally invested in FAZ as a small part of my portfolio. Folks, I have to tell you that next week we've got Adrian Salbucci and Daniel Estelin with us. Yes, those are the folks that talk about conspiracy on a global, on a global scale. Daniel Estelin uh, was at the A Bilderberg conference in Spain. He'll be talking about that. Adrian Salbucci, who's been with us before. Both those gentlemen will be on together next week. I'm really looking forward to my discussion with both of those gentlemen. In closing, I want to thank again our staff at Voice America, starting with my executive senior producer, Tacey Trump ruben Colombe, my operations manager and justin jackman my engineer for making this show logistically possible thanks again to our sponsors for making it financially possible and thanks to each of you for listening and making this the number one show on the voice america business network until next week goodbye and god's blessings to you
3: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, the thing
2: about times, the time is in.